0: Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. It focuses on God's covenant with Adam and Eve after the first couple disobeyed him. The message to all who will listen is God, just moments after his creation was marred by sin, gave mankind hope for a future defeat of evil, a hope for salvation from sin. Now. Now. Here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you are with us here in this place today, and I pray that you would speak clearly so that we can hear your voice and be encouraged and blessed, and we want to hear your voice through your spirit. Amen. All right, so let me ask you a question. How far back do you know your family history? Like the names of people? Anybody? I know mine back to my great-grandfather. So the line going back, my dad, grandpa, great-grandpa goes, Charles Leroy Frank. So that's as far as I know. But with this book, this book, the Neifert book from... 1735 to 1972, I can tell you much more. I can read names. This book was created by someone in our family back in the 1970s, and I can read you name upon name upon name clear back to 1752 when the Neiferts first came to America from Germany. So this book is our family tree, the genealogy of our ancestors as Neiferts. It begins with this entry. Hans Jacob Neifert was born in Germany in 1735. He arrived on the ship, Nancy, 27 September, 1752. We find in the Reverend Schumacher's record that Hans Jacob's wife was Elizabeth, but have not been able to learn more about her. He, that is Hans Jacob Neifert, died in 1812 in Berks County, Pennsylvania. From there, the book traces each branch of the Knifer family. My brother John and I are found on page 15 under my dad's name. My younger siblings had not yet been born or were not known at the time of this publishing, but my mom has written their names in here because she wants it to be complete, right? And she's made a few notes on the same page. Anybody else have a book like this or have access to their family tree online? Yeah, some of you do. It's kind of fun to look at, kind of interesting. Though I know only a handful of the people named in this volume, I find it interesting to skim through it. And a few years ago, we discovered as one of us was looking through the book that there was a family member who married someone in Argonia, which is where we lived before we moved to Pratt. And I knew the Mosier family into which they had married. Didn't know that connection until we just happened upon Argonia in this book. I don't know what the page number is it was my brother who found it it's kind of crazy though it was like all right small town everybody's related right and it just i just found out here's something i do know there are thousands of men and women from whom i am descended who are not recorded in this book As I said, this book only goes back to when Hans Jacob came from Germany to the United States. It does not include anyone born before 1735 who was living in Germany or anyone decades or centuries before that who lived elsewhere on planet Earth. It does not reveal how my family bloodline connects with, well, with Adam and Eve. You likely don't know that far back either. While I don't know the names of those who are related to me all the way back to the beginning of mankind's existence in Eden, I do know something of what I and all of you have inherited from the couple who lived in that God-planted paradise. Before we talk about those things, though, I want us to go back to before Adam and Eve came to be. I want us to see how God powerfully created the universe and all that is in it. For that, we're headed to page one of the Bible. I'm fairly confident that's the page number you'll find it on in your Bible, but I did find one Bible in my office that it was on page five. Don't know why, must have numbered the introduction to it or something. Anyway, if you'll find Genesis 1-1, we'll be on the same page, whether it's the same page number or not. All right, everybody there, Genesis 1-1, super easy to find, easiest place in the whole Bible to find other than the end of Revelation. So here we go. I'm going to read verses 1 to 2 to start with, and it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's important to establish from the get-go who is at the root of all that is. It's God. He is the eternal one who was before, was, was a word that had any meaning. Before time, before space, before light, before, before. God, timeless, never beginning, never ending, self-existent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all all those descriptors that are way beyond any of us. What does verse 1 say God did? He created the heavens and the earth. Everything that we can see and the things that are in the natural universe that we can't see. Everything that is, that we know, and even things we haven't yet discovered. God is the maker of those things. So how did he do this amazing thing of creation? Well, we need to read a little bit more, find the answer to that, so let's do that. I'm reading now from Genesis 1-3 through verse 25, if you'd like to follow along. Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault Sky And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants with seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Getting the pattern right? God says something, it happens. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. We're almost done. 24. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Whew. All right, we're going to stop there for a moment. We'll talk about mankind in a second. But I want us first, as best we can, to understand what we know about God. Did you catch how God made things? There's a repeated phrase, and God said. And that's how he created all that we see, he spoke. And light came to be. It was separated from darkness. He spoke and water came to be. He spoke and dry ground and seas came to be. He spoke and trees came to be. He spoke and the sun and moon and stars and the fish and the birds and all the kangaroos and ants and whatever. All of them came to be because and God said. God who was, as we've already established, before it was, was. Is the unstarted starter of all things which ever had a start. He is the creator of all the natural things that you see on a daily basis. He is the maker of all the things that we make things out of. Without his creative work, we would not have buildings or chairs or semis or windmills or electricity or anything, not even Hawaiian shirts. God made everything around us. Agreed? And he saw what he made, all of the things, and they were, in his opinion, which is really the only opinion that matters, they were good. The sky was good, the animals were good, the trees were good, light, dry ground, seas, fish, birds, good, 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 good. Now we're ready to talk about mankind. We, humanity, we appear in this account of the making of things in verse 26. Let's read from there through verse 31. Then God said, this is still on day six, by the way. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So, we humans are different from all the other things God created. We are, verse 26 tells us, made in God's image and likeness. What does that mean? I am sure that none of us will ever grasp all that it means, large theological treatises and dozens of articles have been written, books piled to the sky, all sorts of people have talked about this, explaining what all they think that that might mean, and I'm not going to go into every detail, but instead point to the one hint that we're given this passage that we just read about what it means to be an image bearer of God. Being made in God's image means, in part, that we have a measure of power and authority. God, of course, is the ultimate authority in all things. He is the creator, and his power is unlimited. Still, he commanded man to exercise authority. Look at the second sentence in verse 28. It says, rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So this assignment from God was meant for the good of his creation. Mankind, his image bearers, were given a part of his authority, a part of his power, in order to rule over the creatures of the earth and to bring about good for them. Animal cruelty laws exist because everyone understands this responsibility, even if they don't acknowledge God's authority over their lives. I remember once hitting my grandmother's dog with a cowbell and I got in big trouble. You don't do things like that to poor little puppies. I hope you don't hate me for doing that. I got in trouble, I didn't do it again. It is not right to show disrespect for the animals God has placed us over. That doesn't mean that we don't protect ourselves from attacks by vicious hurt or angry critters. It does mean we don't intentionally cause them harm. This is not God's way. All right. Let's move on to three short segments of chapter 2. I could have read the entire chapter, but I absolutely want to get to the end of chapters 3, so this is going to get a little less attention than it might otherwise. I'm going to read verses 7 through 9, skip down a bit, read another section, skip down a bit, read another section. I'll say the verses between So we're going to start with 7 to 9. You ready? Here we go. Genesis 2, 7 to 9 begins with these words. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skipping down to verse 15. We're going to read 15 through 18 now. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 20. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. We skip him meeting all the animals and yeah, okay. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So what we've got here is the fleshing out of the story, which chapter 1 gave only a few words to. We're told that God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed life into him. Did he do this with any of the other creatures? No, he spoke those into existence, and he did give them breath. But the word breath here is a little bit different because it's talking about man being given a spirit, an eternal spirit, like God's. another way that we are like God in his image. We have a God-given spirit within us. We also learn here that mankind is given a pretty awesome place to live. A God-planted garden, a beautiful place with pleasing things to look out in every direction. There was tasty fruit to partake of with only one restriction. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the only rule. Can you imagine a place where that's the only rule? We need lots of rules because we've figured out lots of ways to do the wrong thing. But at that time, the only rule, don't eat that fruit. God is good, isn't he? He provides pleasurable things. In the last section, the pleasurable thing that God provides for the man is a woman. And you've heard the joke, right? Why did Adam call her a woman? It's because he looked at her and he goes, whoa, man. Sorry, had to throw that in there. So he's created this pleasurable thing, and this woman was a perfect complement to the man. They were pleased with each other. They had no shame in one another's presence. How could there be shame? Shame requires a knowledge of good and evil, doesn't it? And they didn't have that. They only knew good at this point. Knowing only good was what God wanted for Adam and Eve and for all their descendants. This is what God created, and he wanted it to remain good. We were never intended to know the difference between good and evil because we were never intended to know evil. Only good is what we would know today if not for the events that were given next. Sadly, at the beginning of chapter 3, Mankind, Adam and Eve at this point, gain the knowledge of good and evil when they opt to ignore God's one command. So let's read a bit. We're going to skip over the story of the serpent's coming and his allurement to sin. We're going to pick up after he spoke and see what the man and woman whom God formed personally and breathed the spirit into to see what they do. Here's what we have from Genesis 3, starting at verse 6 and reading on down through 13. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. There's trouble in paradise. (laughs) Serious, long-lasting, affecting every generation to come, trouble. The man and the woman have eaten what God forbade them to eat and their eyes have been opened. They know good and evil now. How horrible it must have been to have the pleasure in all that was good be interrupted for the very first time by evil's terror. The completely foreign feeling of guilt must have been overwhelming. Shame had to have rocked this couple to the core. All they'd ever known was good until they disobediently ate. That's simple. Didn't take long, did it? They're trying to hide from all this when God shows up. And when he shows up, they start pointing fingers this way and that way. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's the snake's fault. It's anybody's fault except mine. Do we ever do that? Oh, yeah. Not going to take the blame. I'll put it on somebody else, even when I'm guilty. Everything that you know and hate in this world started right there. Sin, pain, grueling work, ugliness toward others, blaming, insult, strife, marital problems, rebellion, war. Creation groans under the weight of the consequences of this single act of disobedience. When will bondage to death and decay end? That's what creation asks. When will freedom be restored? Ah, oh, do you not feel it in your bones? Listen now to the words of Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15. It's in these verses that God's plan to save sin tainted mankind from this awful state is first hinted at. The good news starts here. God addresses the tempter in Genesis 3 14 to 15. He's speaking to the serpent, hear what he says says this, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God's perfect world was shattered mere minutes ago and he's already speaking of a plan to rescue and to restore He's promising the defeat of evil. He reveals the one who will crush the enemy's head and win for all Adam's descendants the victory that they so desperately need now. Thank God he gives hope when things are first at their worst. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives us one of the most complete discussions about death and resurrection that there is. Paul talks about the death we inherit from Adam and the life that we receive from Jesus. Back and forth he goes, telling the good news of the broken curse, letting us understand what has happened through Jesus. So let me read two brief snippets, starting with verses 20 to 22, and then we'll skip down a bit. I'll tell you where those verses are next. We'll start with verse 20 through 22. This is Paul speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive. And skipping down, I'll read verses 54 to 57. He's talking about the time to come when God's going to restore creation. It says, when the perishable that's all the things we see, has been clothed with the imperishable, that is when God has recreated things. And the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Woohoo! the death that came through Adam, the death of our spirits to God, our death of our relationship with him that death has been overcome. Jesus, in rising from the dead, gives us hope that resurrection is coming for us, those who have believed, that eternal life is coming, that victory over sin is ours. And we say together with all of creation, how long, how much longer, We believers have a taste of this victory in the spirit living within us whom God has sent to us. We've been forgiven, we are being set free, and we have life in us just as Adam and Eve. Life, that spirit, and more than that, we have God within us and he's living his life in us. This morning I want to urge you to give thanks to God for the victory that he's given You can do so silently or you can do so out loud. Feel free to pray out your praises or to cry out for mercy. Go to God now and find hope in him and in his victory over sin. Because even as Adam and Eve fell, he said, good news is coming. I'm going to come and restore things. So let's worship and praise him together. God, we thank you that even from the very beginning when mankind first fell into sin, that you gave us hope. We thank you that you have now come and fulfilled that promise of one who would crush the serpent's head. you fulfilled it in Jesus, and we celebrate that. We're so grateful for Jesus and that he was crushed for our iniquities, for our sins, and that you have brought healing to our souls, to our spirits because of him. God, help us to rejoice in being made new, in being a new creation through Jesus Christ. And God, if there's any here who have not put their faith in Jesus and not become new in him, I pray, God, that you would speak to them by your spirit and that you would draw them to yourself and give them freedom. I pray these things in Jesus' name. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.